Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Three days until Christmas. What's that do to your heart? Oh, yeah. That means you guys got your shopping done. The rest of you guys are panicking right now, huh? Yeah. Okay. Um, Hey, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. That's where we're going to be this morning. Um, Throughout the Advent uh, uh, season, we have kind of been focusing in in the book of Luke, um, but we're going to move over to the book of Matthew uh, this morning. Uh, When you put the um, the story, the nativity story together um, chronologically, um, there's portions of it in Luke and there's portions of it in Matthew. And so we've been focused in on Luke, but now we're going to move over this morning into Matthew for this specific idea of God becoming present with, with man. Okay, um, so as you're making your way to Matthew chapter 1, I'm going to go ahead and pray uh, for us. Father, thanks so much that we have time together this morning. Father, that we just kind of get to exhale for a minute. We get to breathe and we get to sit together and we get to hear from your word. And I pray that you would speak mightily um, through your word to us this morning, God. Lord, I'm available to be used by you. uh, So Holy Spirit, would you uh, do a work in this room? Speak through me, I pray. And uh, I pray that uh, the message that we hear from you, Lord, is just a message of, of presence, uh, a message that you are here with us, that you didn't leave us orphaned um, without somebody to walk through life with and somebody to uh, have purpose and meaning for, but you stepped in and intervened on our behalf so that we could be present with you one day. So I pray that that's what comes across this morning. And uh, as we spend some time in your word, Father, take your, take your word, illuminate it for us, Holy Spirit, do a work that I can't do. Only you can. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, it, it's been said uh, that time can heal all wounds, right? That time can heal all wounds. And I would say that I have to agree with that on, on some level, but on some level I have to disagree with that too because there are some wounds that time can actually heal. Um, I, I was riding my, uh, uh, my bicycle one day. There, like years ago, there was something, like when I was in college, there was something in me that told me that I needed to be, try to be a mountain biker. Now, I don't know who that was um, that was speaking to me, uh, that was telling me I needed to do that, but um, I tried. I, I thought, okay, um, let's try this mountain biking thing. And so I went out with a friend, and we were riding down uh, um, uh, on a course that was way beyond my skill level. I was going down a hill that was definitely beyond my skill level. And, and, and so gravity is working against me, okay? I'm going down a hill, and there's a sharp turn coming up. And I don't know if I hit a log. I don't know if I hit a tree. I don't know if I hit a squirrel. I hit something, and I went flying over my handlebars, did a flip, but the flip didn't stop there. I kept rolling down the hill, hitting about every inch of my body along the ground and anything that was on the ground all the way down there. And by God's grace, I didn't break anything, but boy, was I ever scraped up and banged up. And I went home, and I was, I was bruised and scraped. And, but here's the thing. Over time, time began to heal those wounds. The scrapes began to kind of go away. The bruises stopped turning gnarly colors uh, along the way on their way out as they were healing. And so for this particular instance, time actually did help heal those wounds. But time doesn't necessarily heal all wounds, does it? There, there are things that we walk through in life that hurt us. There are things that we walk through that damage us so deeply that time will help. And proximity away from the cause of that pain it can help, but time won't fix the deal. The, the effect of that wound sticks with you for a really, really long time. And, and for some of us, the effect of that wound doesn't just stick with us for a long time, but it sticks with us for a, a lifetime. It's never going away. 
I posed the question on, on Facebook uh, th- this week, and, and I said, guys, help me out. Um, uh, I, I'm thinking through something in my mind, and I, I just want you to help me process through it. And I said, interact with this statement. I said, time doesn't heal all wounds. Presence does. And, and I left it intentionally blank, right, or, or, or uh, intentionally vague. I didn't give any context to it because I wanted people just to mull over it and, and tell me what they thought about uh, the statement. And I got so much feedback from people, which was really good for me um, because it helped me think through the idea. And, and, I, and I, got, I got feedback from some folks uh, who had been processing um, the loss of, of a child um, through suicide. And, uh, and I, I know this family uh, fairly well, and, and I, I know the, um, how, how I, I just know the pain that they've walked through in that. And they said, you know, time has taken away the sting uh, of the loss, of this wound, but we're still trying to heal from it. It's not gone yet. And I, there were some people who gave me some feedback who, who they've walked through some pain, and, and she said, you know, um, I, I was raped uh, uh, um, uh, when I was a little bit younger, and, and uh, there was a sexual sin um, that she had to walk through. And, and in that sin, she said, time has helped take away the sting of that pain and that wound, but I'm still walking through that. Like, I'm still in this process of, of healing and, and trying to get better in this. Like, through extensive therapy and counseling, she's been working through that. And another, uh, um, a few other people, they talked about loss uh, of children and loss in utero and outside of utero. And they said the, the pain has been extensive and the sting of the pain is so deep and, and, and time has helped with this, but time has not taken away the pain of it. There is healing that is still needing to be done. But in every one of those, and I don't know if it's how I, if I, if it's how I phrase a question, but sometimes you can phrase a question and get the answer that you want, right? And, and so maybe it's the way I phrase it, or maybe it was just the idea that presence is a big deal. But the, the, the answer that I got from most of them, the, the, the thing that has been most helpful for them, so like the sting of the wound is still there, but the presence has helped me. And presence on two different levels. Presence with God, or the presence of God, knowing that they're not walking through this thing alone, right? That they're not like orphan children who don't have any hope, who don't have somebody who's with them. They said, there is somebody who is walking through this with me, and I know that it's God. He's bringing some healing into this process. It, it still hurts, but he's bringing healing. And, and they said, the presence of other people also, knowing that I don't walk through this without God, but also knowing that I don't walk through it by myself. There are other people who are joining me in this process who are coming along with me. And so time has helped take away the sting of the wound, but time can't heal the wound. The, the presence of God and the presence of people has been driving these folks towards, towards healing. And so, now why am I talking about that, right? Like it's Christmas, it's the 22nd, we're three days away from having this huge celebration with presents underneath the tree. Like it's Christmas time. Well, we're supposed to be happy and we're supposed to be talking about all the stuff that we're going to be getting. Here's why we're talking about this this, this morning. Because we are getting close to Christmas. We're, we're a couple days away or a few days away. The 25th is right around the corner. And, and it's helpful to, uh, for, for us as a reminder as we move towards Christmas that now, now, now watch this, okay? Uh, we're about to put a slide up here that is going to blow your mind, all right? And this is about as creative as I can get. So, so when you see it, just ooh and awe with me, okay? Like Christmas is not, uh, it's a good reminder that Christmas is not about presents with a T. Go ahead and throw that up there. It's not about presents with a T, but Christmas is about, don't laugh, you're supposed to, oh, right? There we go. Yes, the ingenuity of this creative mind is before you in all its glory. Christmas is not about presence with a T. Christmas is about presence with a, a C, right? That, that the miracle of Christmas is that Christ came. 
The miracle of Christmas isn't stuff that's wrapped up real nice and neat underneath of a tree that we're hoping to get on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve whenever we open up our gifts. The miracle of Christmas is wrapped up in the fact that Jesus, that God himself wrapped himself in flesh, sent Jesus to be on this earth, to incarnate his life so that he might become one of us and to do what time can never do. Because time can't heal all wounds. Only the presence of God can heal all of our wounds. Because there was a wound that goes so deep, a wound so damaging, a wound so incriminating and separating, a wound that was so deep that separated God from man that time could never heal. Actually, time made the angst and the longing for it, the longing for it to get better, time intensifies it. Time makes it more apparent in our world. And it was this wound that only the very presence of God can heal. You, you following with me? You tracking? Like, time can't heal all of our wounds. Time can help, but only the very presence of God is what can heal the ultimate wounds. So over the, over the past few weeks, we've been talking about Advent, right? We've been in the Advent season. We've been in this series called Unwrapped. And in this series uh, of Unwrapped, we've been, you know, let's unwrap the true meaning behind Advent. And Advent is this uh, hopeful anticipation and expectation that there is somebody who was coming. And we're waiting for this, this great gift to, to show up uh, to which we celebrate on Christmas Day, but it wasn't a gift that came wrapped up underneath the tree. This is a gift that came wrapped up in flesh. And, and so we, we have this hopeful anticipation and expectation that a Savior was coming. The gift of the Savior was coming. But at the same time, we're not just waiting for the birth of the Savior. We're waiting for the day that he returns again, the second advent, when he does away with all of these wounds, when these wounds are forever healed at his coming. And so in advent, we're waiting for Jesus to be born, but we're also waiting for him to come again so that all of these things, all of these hopes that have been dashed, all of these things that have been hurting inside, of this, this, this wound of sin that's a part of our life, all these things are made right. And so this week in Advent, we come to the peak, right? We come to the crest of the hill. We're right there at the, the climax of what Advent is pointing at. We're in this moment of awe and wonder, and, and we're just captivated and full of worship at this miracle of, of Christmas, the fact that God steps out of heaven. He wraps himself in flesh. He incarnates himself to do what time can't fix to heal brokenness, to heal the emotional hurts, to heal our disappointments, to heal the destruction that's been caused by sin, to heal the destruction that's been caused by um, the sin that has invaded all of this world, and to, to, to send his very presence to be a part. See, the miracle of Christmas is that God incarnated himself and showed up into existence. And so what I want to do is I want you to look at Matthew chapter 1, we're going to walk through Matthew chapter 1. And what Matthew was doing is Matthew writes uh, to a Jewish audience. And so when you write, when, as he's writing to a Jewish audience, he wants to give as many details of Israel's history as he can to show that, hey, this is the Savior that's been promised to us. And so as we read through uh, the, the beginning uh, of Matthew, these are usually the first 17 verses that none of us read, right? There's this long genealogy of name after name after name after name after name. Like, what do I need to know all these names? Well, the three names that really stick out to us in this are, are Abraham, David, and Jesus, right? So Abraham is given, and then 14 generations follow Abraham. And then that leads to David, and there's 14 generations that follow David. And then after David, there's 14 generations getting to Christ, getting to Jesus, showing all of Israel that Jesus is the qualified and rightful Savior of the world. 
showing that he is the rightful king to sit upon the king of David, and not just momentarily, but to sit upon the king of David forever. And and so as we read verses 18 through 25, that's the backdrop, that's the background of what Matthew is doing here. And so let's, um, I want to read all the way through 18 down to 25, and then we're going to come back, we're going to make some observations uh, in this passage, okay? So verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they'll call his name Emmanuel. You should call, they should call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called her name, and he, and he called his name Jesus. So, so let's make a few observations here out of the passage. So verse 18, right? Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Now, Christ here, you need to know, it's not a last name, right? Christ is not a Williams. It's not a Porter. It, 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 it's, it's not a uh, Stoyakovich. It's not a Pratt, right? Christ here is not a last name. Christ is a title here. Christ means the Messiah. It means the promised one. It means the one that the world has been waiting on. It's the the anointed one, the gift that Israel had been waiting on. It's the one that the world had been waiting on. See, right now, the world is broken. And everyone who's living in creation can feel that. And so the Christ and the Messiah, he was going to come and he was going to heal all of this brokenness. So verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. This is the Christ. He was promised. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Okay, now you have to know that this passage is dripping with disappointment, okay? It is just out like we're going to get to hope, we're going to get to joy, we're going to get to birth. But right now in this space, there is disappointment that is just flowing all over the place because our, our human experience tells us that it has to be in this moment. See, when we look at the chronology of Jesus, and, and, and all, there, there are four specific angelic announcements that, that herald the idea that Jesus is coming, the Savior, the Rescuer, the Healer of the world is on His way. And, and so we've talked about a couple of those over the past uh, few weeks. The first angelic uh, announcement was to Zechariah. You remember Zechariah, he's in the temple, and he's going, and he's serving the Lord. And while he's in the temple, there's this angel, Gabriel, actually. He shows up, and he says, hey, you and your bride, you guys are going to have a son, and you're going to call his name John, and he's going to be the pre-runner. He's going to be the forerunner toward, towards Christ, and he's going, to, he's going to help the people prepare their hearts to be ready to repent when Jesus shows up on, on the scene, to be his, a people prepared for him. And, and, and Zechariah says, man, like, how's that going to happen? I, I'm old, and my wife, she's advanced in years. Like, this, like how's, this, how's this going to go down? And he says, it's going to happen. And it says, okay. And so there's this great excitement going down. And then a little bit later, um, the angel Gabriel shows up to this little teenage girl, this, this little virgin girl. She's never known a man. 
She's, she's just in her teenage years. And the angel shows up and says, hey, I want to tell you that you are going to be the mother of the, uh, of, of the son of the Most High. You're going to have a son. You're going to call his name Jesus. He's going to save the people from their sins. He's going to be the son of the Most High. You are going to be carrying the very son of God. Oh, try that on. Daddy, she told you she's pregnant and you felt stressed out? Like this gal, like she's like, how am I supposed to carry the son of God? But there's this excitement that comes around. And then there's another announcement that, that comes a little bit later. An angel shows up and tells Joseph, kind of clues him in on what's going down, right? And, and, but Joseph right now, he has no clue, right? He, the angel hasn't showed up. He doesn't know. And then uh, after the baby is born, Jesus is born, then uh, an angel shows up to the shepherds and says, hey, hey, behold, I've got good news that brings great joy that's going to be for all people. Behold, uh, in, in the city of David, there's a Savior who's born. Rejoice. This is the one that we've been waiting on. And that whole host of angels shows up and fills the area. And so there's four announcements that Jesus, the Savior, the Rescuer, the Healer is coming, but only two of them have been made up to this point. Zechariah, knows about it. His bride knows about it. Mary knows that this is going down, but Joseph has no clue that this is happening right now. And so Matthew tells us that Mary and Joseph are betrothed. They're a, they're a couple. She's his and, and he's hers. When she walks into the room, his heart beats faster. When he walks into the room, her heart beats faster. They are bound together. They're a couple. They're off the market. They're what Facebook status would say is somewhere in between a relationship and somewhere between married. They are what some people would call engaged, right? But betrothed is so much deeper than an engagement. This was an actual legal bonding together. Now, in, in a betrothal, really the only thing that's left to do is, is uh, to go and consummate the marriage. For, 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 the, for the husband or the, um, the groom to, to take his bride to his house and then to consummate, and the, and the two become one flesh. And so right now, they are legally bound together, but, but they haven't yet now come, become one flesh. And, and, and so Scripture says here, but before they came together, Matthew tells us, before they came together, meaning before they went to go consummate this marriage, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, let me put this into our context with this because we need to read this not from a 21st century mindset. We need to read it as it lies on the page or as it was happening. So in the, 21st, or, or, or in, in the first century, like nothing like this has ever happened before, right? So if we put this in our context, this is like us. Um, like we've, we've done all the premarital counseling that we can do and we are ready, we're excited, we're ready for the marriage. And then after the counseling, uh, we uh, get everything ready for, for the wedding day and, and uh, the bride walks up the aisle and the dude is like, I can't believe this is happening and she's gonna, actually going to marry me. And, and, and she walks up and she says, I do. And he says, I do. And then the pastor says, well, no, since you both do, I now pronounce you as husband and wife. And, and they were so excited, they're not even heading back to the, to heading back to the party. They're going straight to the hotel, okay? They're like, it is wedding night time. And so they get to the door to the hotel or to wherever it is that they're going. And she looks at them and she says, hey, oh, by the way, yeah, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant. Hold up, what? You're pregnant? See, Joseph knows he's been pure 
They've been pure. He's done everything that he can to honor his God. He's done everything that he can to honor this gal. But in his mind, she ain't been pure. She's not not been what he expected her to be. And so he's got some questions. You got some explaining to do, Lucy, right? (laughs) We got to get this thing fixed. What's happening right now in this moment? He doesn't understand because, listen to me, there is no precedent for something like this that's ever happened before right? This has never happened. There's been no virgin birth. There will never be another virgin birth. The the only thing in his mind that he can possibly conceive is that she stepped out on me. And, And he's sitting here in disappointment and anger and angst. There just simply is no other way around this. See, we have to read this from the 21st century, or not from the 21st century perspective. We got to read the emotion that the text allows for in just the human experience of life, right? See, you, you can't divorce the emotional element of disappointment here. There's anger, there's hurt, there's frustration. Human emotion and disappointment, it's the backdrop of the story. It's, it's apparent in this context, but there's something that's bigger that's going down in this moment right now, okay? Because this isn't just Joseph who's feeling disappointed. This is highlighting that there is sin that is in the world that needs to be dealt with. There's this wound of sin that penetrates every area and aspect of our lives, and so that's the grander context in the backdrop here. But if you were Joseph here, like, and this was your reality in this moment, how you feeling, guys? How you feeling? Yeah. Like, we're not going through with this. But we learn something about Joseph in this moment right here, right? Look at verse 19. We learn something about his character and who his God is. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Matthew tells us here that Joseph was a just man, or that he was a righteous man. That that means that he was following after God, that he was obeying to the best that he could the law of Moses, right? He was was leaning into the things of God. He was a just and a righteous man. And Matthew says he was unwilling to put her to shame and resolved to divorce her quietly. He's speaking to the character of who Joseph was. His heart was for God, and his heart was for his bride in this moment. And now the law would tell us that if a, if a wife cheats on you, remember, they're legally bound. And if she is to cheat, what happens according to the law is she's supposed to die. Right? You cheat, you die. Can you imagine if we put that in our society right now? Right? There'd be a lot less cheating. There'd be a lot less stepping out. People would be like, hey, if I'm going to die, no, nah, bro, I'm good. It's, it's not happening here. But in this moment, like the law says she's got to go. But that's not Joseph's heart in this. He's thinking through all of his hurt thinking through all of his options. He's what Scripture says in verse 20. He's considering what he's supposed to do. The the word consider here means to contemplate. It means to process. It it means to process information by by thinking about it carefully, to ponder, to reflect. Now, see, Matthew, he's already told us the character of this man. He's already said, this man is just. He's righteous. He's He's got a heart that seeks the Lord. And so I don't think it's too far of a stretch for us to say that in his considering, right? As he's pondering these things, he's likely considering and seeking the face of God, right? He's likely talking to the guy, to the God that he, he leans so heavily into. Like the passage doesn't specifically tell us that in these words, but when faithful men and women are going through something, right, and they feel hurt, they feel damaged, they feel like the world hasn't panned out the way that I hoped it was going to pan out. I've backed into some things that I didn't expect to, to back into. I, I'm wondering, what are the next steps that I'm supposed to be taking? Faithful men and women, 
they bring those hurts before God, then they lay them at his feet, and, and, and we consider and say, God, what am I supposed to do now? My world doesn't feel anything like it was supposed to, and here we are. Lead me in this space. And so considering here becomes what we've been talking about over the past few months. Considering here becomes this place of lingering in the presence of God and, and bringing this stuff to the Lord and saying, here, help me. I don't know what to do. Help me find healing in this. And so Joseph is considering these ideas as he perceives that he's been deeply wounded by Mary. This guy is hurt. He's been wounded. You, you track with me? Time doesn't heal this kind of wound. Time doesn't heal this here. What heals this wound for Joseph is the fact that God shows up. The fact that the, the wound that he's carrying right now, like God steps into this with his presence. Time doesn't heal it. It's lingering in his presence that brings perspective for him. And so he's trying to figure this thing out. What do I do now? How do I show Mary mercy? But at the same time that I show her mercy, how do I not look like a fool? Because I, I, I continue to go through the marriage with this gal who's been cheating on me. Like, how do I not look like an idiot here? Verse 20. But as he considered these things, this is when God breaks through. He's considering these things, and God breaks onto the scene for Joseph. See, God often breaks into our world when things seem the darkest. A light in the darkness. That's what Jesus was going to be. A light in the midst of the darkness. When does a diamond shine the brightest? It doesn't shine the brightest when I'm just sitting in here, when it's sitting on your finger. A, the, a diamond shines the brightest when it's set against the blackness of velvet. And everything begins to shine and pop off of that velvet. See, God seems to break into the scene when everything seems hopeless, when everything seems broken and falling down around you. Joseph is where many of us find ourselves from, from time to time, hurt and wounded, sitting at the end of a rope, sitting at the corner of our bed, maybe with, with head in hand, wondering what am I going to do, considering and contemplating our lives, thinking about his life, thinking about her life, thinking about their life, thinking about what could have been, what should have been, thinking about life before her, what life is going to be like after her. Stuff that he wasn't planning on, but here it is, it's right in front of him. And now he's got to deal with it. And this is the moment when God presses in, into his, or when he presses into God, God shows up and he breaks through. I remember when I was in uh, Iraq in, in 2004, and we had just, uh, we'd been there for about a month or so, and uh, we just got into our first firefight with, with the insurgency. Up to that point, everything had been kind of, we'd just been following people around. But this is the first real fight that uh, we had gotten into. And we, it, we were in an ambush. Things started blowing up around us, and things were getting hit. People were getting hit. And, and my tank had taken some significant damage in, in the middle of this. And I remember in that moment, man, I was so angry, and I was so frustrated with God. Like, I was, if I'm just being honest with you, I was terrified, right? Like, because you can't, you can't train, you can't prepare for that kind of stuff. Like, you can go through motions, but like when things really start happening, like, it's just different. And so, first of all, I was terrified, but then I, I was angry and I was mad because I felt like I, I went, I, later, later that night, I went back to my trailer and I had it out with God and, 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 I, and I pressed into him. And actually, I think I pressed against him because I said, God, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing right now? Because this doesn't seem to make sense. See, in my mind, I thought that I was going to go to Iraq, and I thought everything was going to be um, just, just nice and easy, that I was going to go, we're going to walk out, and, and I was going to go through unscathed because God and I had a plan. We had a plan that, that the things were going to be different after I got out. I was going to go, and I was going to get married. I was going to go to seminary. I was going to do all that kind of stuff. And, and God, this doesn't fit with your plan. Like, like how is like, all this stuff 
the fact that I might not walk out of here. And, and, and I remember, like, there, there were some things that, that you'll never forget, right? This is one of those things I'll never forget. As I, as I was pressing against him, I, I began to feel him say to me, like, listen, listen I, I didn't promise you that you were going to walk out of here unscathed. Actually, I didn't promise you that you were going to walk out of here at all. <laughs> and, and here's what I felt him speak to me. But I did promise you through my word, through my character, that you'd never walk through this alone. That, that you were never going to move through this thing all by yourself. That, that I was going to be with you through every step of it. So in my desperation and in my bitterness and in my anger and me pressing into the Lord, seeking his face in this, but like mad at him, but nonetheless seeking his face and perspective on this, like he added perspective for me. Verse 20, but as Joseph, as he is considering these things, He's considering his situation and his time and what he's walking through. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. God breaks through, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. In other words, he's saying, it's okay. She didn't cheat on you. It's okay. Take her to be your wife. And everybody can feel Joseph saying, thank you, because I didn't know what I was going to do. Actually, I had some ideas, but I didn't really know. And, and so he feels comfortable to take her in verse 21. He says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he'll save his people from their sins. Okay, this is where the story completely changes direction. This is where um, uh, the, the shift begins to focus or, or the focus begins to shift. Joseph had no clue what was going on before, right? His, our human emotion would tell us that there is hurt, there's disappointment that's been leveled into his life, that's been inflicted into his world, a, a wound that would feel so deep for him, a wound that some people would say, you know what, time's going to heal that. And there were some people saying, no, time won't heal that wound at all. And, but for us, we need to know that, that a wound that, that he's feeling, right, in his life, a wound that sometimes that we feel in our life, it, it, it goes a little bit deeper than just what we feel in the circumstance or the situation that we're walking into, right? It's not just limited to there. Our hurts and our wounds are symptomatic of a much deeper cancerous sin issue that goes down into the bowel of the earth and it goes down into the bowel of all humanity. It's this wound of sin, this thing that affects everything. It affects all the world around us and it affects our own personal life as well. And time can't heal that wound. Time cannot heal the wound of sin. Actually, time intensifies the hurt. It intensifies the angst of the wound. The wound of sin can only be healed by the powerful presence of God. See, time won't heal sin. Only the presence of God can heal sin. And so this angel, he finally clues Dave, or Joseph in on, on this, and he, and he announces, God finally clues him in, this thing that Mary has known all, all along in verse 21, she's going to bear a son and you're going to call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. You know what Jesus means? Jesus means Yeshua in the Hebrew, right? And Yeshua means the Lord's, or Yeshua means uh, the Lord saves. It means God saves. And what's, Matthew tell us that Jesus was coming to save, this Jesus, this God save. What is he coming to save from? He's coming to save from this wound of sin. 
He's coming to save the people from their sin. The wounds, the hurts, the disappointments that have been self-inflicted or the wounds that have been inflicted by others or, or somebody else. The wounds that are symptomatic of a greater cancerous issue that are caused by the root of sin in our life. He's saying, Jesus, God saves, is coming to fix what time can never fix. Time can't heal it. The only thing that can possibly heal this wound is Jesus. Now, now watch uh, what Matthew tells us here. Jesus means God saves. In verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, this is a prophecy that was in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that pointed to the idea or pointed to the reality that there was going to be somebody who was going to come who was going to heal the land. But in healing the land, he was going to heal the people as, as well. Do, do you know what Emmanuel means? You should. It says it right here, right? Because Emmanuel is God with us. And this blows our mind to think that there would be a God who would step out of heaven, who would wrap himself in flesh, and who would come to live amongst us. And, and, and so he's called, you're going to call his name Jesus, but you're going to call his name Emmanuel. So what's his name? <laughs> is he Jesus or is he Emmanuel? Well, he's both. Because this, is, this was God's plan. He's going to be God saves, but the way that he's going to do it is going to be through his presence through the presence of God, through Emmanuel. He's going to come and be with us. He's going to wrap himself in flesh. And he's going to deal with a problem that, that time could never have ever dealt with. It's always been his plan to step in and to be present with his people. And so the, mira the, mir the miracul miraculous thing of Christmas, the reason why we celebrate Christmas, is all wrapped in this identity and reality that time could never fix all of our problems. That time can help fix some of the wounds, but time can't fix all of our wounds. There's a wound that runs so deep, a wound that's so damaging, and a wound that's so incriminating and separating, that separated God from man, that only he could deal with. A perfect, holy, righteous God stepping out of heaven, incarnating himself, wrapping himself in flesh to be present with us so that he could fix what time can never do. Now here, I want, you to, I want you to imagine this. Like when we think about Jesus, right? Somebody's got the word and it's going strong over there. <laughs> I love it. When we think about Jesus, we have to think about the reality of who God is. Fully divine, fully perfect, fully righteous. And yet he steps out of heaven, sending Jesus to be present with us. He doesn't stop being God. He doesn't stop being fully divine, but yet he takes on flesh and becomes fully human. This is the only time in history that this has ever happened. This is God, fully God, becoming at the same time fully man. And what's it mean for him to be fully man? Scripture tells us all throughout what it means to be perfectly God, right? And to be perfectly man. For him, like, he, he's coming into a manger scene. Like, how humble is that? To, to step into humility like that, to wrap himself. And, and so he is, here, here's what being perfectly human means, or fully human. It means that as a baby, it wasn't a silent night, y'all. Like he cried. He kept mama and daddy awake that night, right? He had to wake up and he had to be nursed by his mama. He didn't just feed himself. Like being human, he was full, like he needed his mom. And, and then he, he, he needed sleep. He needed rest. He filled the equivalent of pampers or huggies in, 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 in the manger, right? 
whatever, like he, like he had to be changed. This is what humanity looks like for Jesus. He had to be fed. He, he got tired and he had to learn. He had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to talk. He had to learn how to learn, right? Scripture tells us that he grew in wisdom and he, he grew in stature. Like he had to learn how to, pry. like he didn't just step out the womb walking. He had to be fully human. And then we, we know as we um, dig through Scripture that, that Jesus um, would fill the full humanity as well. Right? He would know what it was like to be hungry. He would know what it was like to be tired. He walked a lot of places. He didn't catch an Uber. He, he walked, and, and as he walked, like, he would get tired, and he had to sleep through the night. And then there were times when he would get hungry, and he would eat with the disciples and eat with other people. And, and, and he knew what it was like to be betrayed by friends and to be stabbed in the back and, and have somebody turn on you and to have people walk away from you. He knew what it was like to not only feel emotional pain, but to feel physical pain by going to the cross and the feeling that he knows what it was like to die. And here's why he became human, so that he might identify with us and be able to do something that we can never do and that time could never do. He became human so he could fix the wound of sin in our life. And he was perfectly God and perfectly human at the same time. So why is this significant, Right? Let me put the, the whole story together, and, and, and it's not by me. This is Paul. Paul tells us in Philippians 2 what this whole story looks like. Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. This is, this is him. This is the incarnation. This is Matthew chapter 1. This is Luke chapter Like this, this is Jesus stepping into the earth. He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that the name of Jesus, what's Jesus mean? God saves so that at the name of God saves, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He became present and dealt with sin so that we could be present with him. He became present and he dealt with something that we can never deal with. We couldn't fix it. Time wouldn't fix it. He lived a perfect human life, went to a cross and died. That's why the manger is so significant. And so when we think about Advent, we don't stop at the cradle. We go all the way to the cross. And we see the life that he lived and the death that he died so that he could be, re so that he could be reunited with the Father and he would send the Holy Spirit to live inside of us so that he could always be present with us. This is Emmanuel. This is God with us. The most extraordinary miracle, the most extraordinary reality that we see in the scripture. God taking on flesh, coming to be present with us, taking on a wound that we can never fix, healing something that we were dying from and maybe we knew it and maybe we didn't know it and to fix it. And that opens a door for us to be saved. You remember why he came? He came to save. And so he opens up the door that we might be saved. And so that we can be present with the God who was present in, in our lives. See, in just a couple days, or maybe you've already started opening gifts, but on Christmas Day, you're going to go and you're going to open up these gifts. They're going to be underneath the tree. They're going to be immaculate. And some of them are just going to blow your mind. And some of you are going to be like, ah, I could have done better than that. Right? But there are going to be gifts that we're going to just be, rapt we're going to be enraptured by that are underneath this tree. And it would be so easy for us to get wrapped up in the idea that that's what Christmas is about. But I don't want us to get into that space. I want us to remember that Christmas isn't about presents with a T, 
but that Christmas is about presence with the sea. The fact that there was a God who came, wrapped himself in flesh, and Christ became um, a very visible, very a tangible expression of his love, and not only an expression of his love, like he would give his life for us so that we could experience his life, experience his love in a very real way. See, Christmas is about presence with a sea, that God was with us. He entered into our world, and he took the wound of sin. And, and so here's what that means for us. He stepped in so that we can know him. And there, there may be some people in the room right now who, who you've, never tried, you've never seen God as, as, as Emmanuel. You've never seen Jesus as God saves. You, you, you just never have. And so you've never trusted him as your Savior. I want you to know that he came to the earth for you. Like, like he, came, he came to save, and so he came for you. And so maybe this Christmas, like you, you've never accepted Jesus, but this is the first Christmas. You're like, you know what? I'm going to experience Christmas the way that it was intended to be. Like this is the year, right? This is the year. Like I'm going to trust Jesus, and I'm going to experience all the fullness of Christmas and the fact that he took away something that I could never take away. But if you are in Christ, I, I want you to maybe, maybe this Christmas, like th this, is, this is the time where you begin to understand that he's not only taken away the stain of sin and, and the punishment for sin, but he's also come into this world so that he might be present with you and that you might be present with him, that he could be in the life and in the muck and the mess with you. Like he entered into this world to be with you. He, like he didn't leave you behind, he's walking through. And so maybe this is the year where you press into his presence. And, and so here, here's, here's the thing that I, that I would say, two things, right? I think two things. Press into his presence but also press into the presence of other people. Right? There, there, there are going to be people that are around you this Christmas that have nobody to, 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 to be around. There, there are going to be um, people around you who don't know what it's like to have the tangible expression of God's love in their life. And maybe you can be the tangible expression of his love for them, to, to spend time with, to be present with them, to be present um, with a God who's present, but also to be present with, with, with a God who wants to be present in the lives of others, and he uses us to do that. Um, there, I had a friend uh, when I was in seminary, uh, a brother that I just loved deeply, um, and his son was extremely, terminally sick while we were in seminary. Um, and then uh, shortly after uh, we left, um, his six-year-old son uh, died and went, and went to be uh, with the Lord. And, and this is a guy who, who loves, he loves God. He, 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 loved, he loves his word, he's in ministry. And uh, guys, he was hurt. He was mad. He was so disappointed with God. And like he knew it up here, right? He knew, he knew that God loved him. He knew that God walked with him into these situations. He, he knew that. But like this brother was so hurt. He was so, he was so angry. And, and, he, and he said, Anthony, he's like, I never felt the presence of God. This is a guy who knows the presence of God. I never felt the presence of God until somebody sat with me. I never felt the presence of God until people were present with me in my life. And, and, and so maybe this Christmas for you, like you're just simply allowing the Lord who's present in your life, the one that you've been pressing into, to move you, to have open eyes to see who it is around you that just needs to feel the tangible expression of God's love in their life, that you might find presence in the King himself, but people might find presence in the King too by simply sitting with you. So maybe this Christmas looks a little bit different for you this year. Would you pray with me? Father, you are so good to us. Even though we don't deserve it, Father, you are so good to us. And Lord, you dealt with something that we can never deal with. 
And what we try, we try to make things better in our world and we try to cover up things, try to make things right. But you sent your son to be our righteousness and to cover us, to cover up our mistakes, to cover up the sin in our world. And not just to cover it, but to remove it and to cover us with your righteousness. Father, you stepped in and did something that we can never do. I pray that you would help us this Christmas not to wait for time to fix things, but that we would press into your presence, that we would press into you, Lord, that we would learn to linger with you because when we linger with you, you give us perspective that we just don't have on our own. You open up our eyes to see things in ways that we, we just could never see without you. And so, Father, this Christmas, uh, we're going to go and we're going to spend a fantastic time with our families and it's going to be great. And I just pray that there's so much joy and rejoicing in that. But I pray, too, that you would focus our minds in the fact that you came, you lived perfectly, you died ruthlessly, and you were raised beautifully. And you sent your son, or you sent your spirit to, to be with us now, to be present with us. And and I, I don't know how we wrap that story up in a nice, neat little ball. But I just don't think we can. I don't think we set it aside and say, here it is. Father, this is just a lifetime of living with you. So would you let that start for some people this Christmas or even now as we sit here? And for some of us who just continue to walk in your goodness and in your life. Thank you for Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.